Hello listeners, I got a quick dump of news for you so you can know what's going on over at the site if you don't already. So listen up as we dive into this news. In the features department, the one player missions continue and the latest comes from Caleb Curry with a uh, really in-depth look at uh, Rogue Galaxy and the heart of it all there in Finding Family in a Sea of Stars, Rogue Galaxy's Greatest Treasure. Uh, if you like the movie Treasure Planet or the game uh, Rogue Galaxy, then definitely give this article a read and just and just see like some of where some of the magic lies in this game. The other feature that's uh, come up for us is uh, our big annual spectacular that I'm guessing a lot of readers look forward to. The RPG Fan Music of the Year 2020 has gathered uh, all of our favorites that we really loved listening to over this past year uh, from albums and personal favorites and such. So give that a read and give those tracks a listen. Before we get into the reviews proper, we have a couple previews. First of all, we have the Monster Hunter Rise demo that dropped. So of course we previewed it, Ava Padilla got in on that one, and so far is liking how it's shaping up. It looks like it's going to be a good time, has made some nice new changes to the uh, the formula I guess, or not entirely, but just everything's bigger and better and you got more monsters to take on and it's really looking like it's going to be really impressive. So go give the demo a shot and uh, yeah, let us know your thoughts as well. Uh, the other game is kind of review in progress slash it's out in some forms right now, but Persona 5 Striker, we've got a preview of uh, Nathan Lee's playthrough of it and uh, his thoughts as he's going through for review, so go give that one a read if you need some more Persona 5 in your veins. As one can expect, Caitlin Argyros continues her adventures in Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers and, and brings us her latest entry in her review journal and uh, I guess with the latest release of content, which she's not super keen on where patch 5.4 is taking things, but uh, if you want to see her thoughts on the future's rewritten patch and everything that's going on within it and uh, see if you agree that it sounded pretty good, I mean, she seems pretty keen overall on it. It's still a strong entry, but... Yeah, she has her misgivings, so we'll see what happens. You may have already seen it or played it already, but Torchlight 3 has released, and I reviewed that one, and I was not super keen on it. It just, yeah, it's more of the same, which is cool if you're down for that, but the downside is it's just it's kind of lacking in a lot of ways. and doesn't quite have the same fun and magic that Torchlight 2 had, so go check out my review if you want to see the nitty-gritty. We did a great video review on it as well, if you prefer to just watch and hear your reviews, so you've got options. Go check those out. Alana Hanks had the special privilege of jumping into the GBA classic Mother 3 for us, uh, which, while we don't have an official English translation, uh, it was just one of those games that uh, we, we kind of, we, we just needed to. We needed to have our own opinion on it for what it's worth, and we do really hope we get an official release at some point. Uh, she loved the experience, gave it RPG Fan Editor's Choice. Go check out a review for what she thinks of uh, this version of the Mother story. Neversong is a really interesting looking little action RPG that Dom Kim reviewed for us that I uh, had forgot about its existence actually until this RPG, but I do remember hearing about it. Either way, really nifty looking concept. It's uh, indie RPG as heck, so if you're into it, go check it out, but have a look at the review. Uh, it's not the most promising in this iteration, but perhaps they'll put their thoughts into a future entry that may uh, extrapolate and expand upon these ideas. Kentucky Route Zero TV Edition. Eva Padilla has been playing this game for ages, and we touched on actually, I think, briefly on this episode as well, but uh, we finally have the next entry in it, and Ava's uh, loving it. And it's just one of those games I've heard so many good things about myself, actually, and really ought to go check it out, but I just, I don't make the time for the point-and-click adventures. I really ought to more often than not. Either way, it got RPG Fan Editor's Choice from Ava, and I recommend you go check out uh, her review 
to see your thoughts on it and uh, if you want to dive into this into this classic point-and-click adventure. And Audra Bowling continues uh, chewing through visual novels uh, at a fiendish pace, this one being called Autumn's Journey, and uh, yeah, just a nice little magical adventure. Looks really cute, art's really nice, and uh, overall seems to be a promising game. So if you want a nice uh, little dive into a quick little VN, then this seems to be the one for you, so go give it a read. And finally, we have a music review from Alana Hag's uh, Transience, a near synthwave tribute, which has my ears peaked. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the synthwave stuff. I like to jam to it for getting into work or workout and such. So this is definitely on my radar now. It's 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 a good bop, and uh, it's never going to be uh, a hard sell when Sean Shafriansky is at the helm. So uh, Alana was pretty high on it. So go check out the review and see if this is one for you to pick up. And that's it on to episode 206 of Random Encounter. Alright everybody, we're back with another episode of Random Encounter. This is 206, our second of the new year. Uh, we're just kind of, uh, sort of, uh, audibly twiddling our thumbs until uh, we get to our Game of the Year features, which should be the next couple episodes very shortly, barring any uh, holdups at the site. So don't quote me on that when uh, the next one is just us killing time again. No, I kid. It should, we should uh, be into heavy discussion with a big old panel but to keep things light and easy, uh, it's just Jono and I do a little two-hander today just to uh, keep things going. So Jono here, as always, on the mic. Hello, Jono. Hello, Greg. How are you doing in this fabulous partway into the first month of 2021? Well, uh, as of this recording, so far the inauguration of Joe Biden has happened and has gone down smoothly. Uh, but otherwise, our year was a, a little <laughs> weird to start off with, uh, mm-hmm. especially for those in the States. Uh, you know, we've got vaccines going out and mixed reviews on those so far. We'll see how that all goes down as well. 2021 is happening. We're shockingly almost through the month of January, and it's uh, it's been a lot but uh, in a very short amount of time, but also still feels like just more of the same. How about you? Yeah, I have never... I don't know, like back in, this this sounds cynical, but back in 2000 and, uh, 2016, um, was it 2016 or was it 2000 and, like, gosh, I've lost track. Anyway, uh, I was at a New Year's party and uh, everyone was like counting down the days and they're like, thank God that year's over. It was the worst year ever. And this was the year after the 2000 and, uh, the 2016 uh, campaign where Trump won. And they're like, thank right. God it's over. And I just remember thinking, Thank God it's over. Like it's, it, it nothing's going to change. It's a continuation of what's happening right now, um, and I kind of feel that way a little bit about 2020. Like, weren't I think a lot of people had a lot of hopes that 2021 was going to be magically everything is better instead of a logical continuation, or in some cases, illogical continuation of everything that came before. Um, but I think honestly that we have some good things to look forward to in 2021. Um, finally there's there's i don't want to say light at the end of the tunnel is being a little bit uh yeah uh, yeah but i think that yeah obviously the pandemic is still going on and 
Obviously, vaccines are slowly going out, and they are not going out as fast as everyone wants them to. But realistically speaking, it's a massive, massive logistical challenge to everyone from provincial governments to federal governments to the companies that are providing the vaccines. Like, the fact that we have gone this, at this point last year, we didn't even, like most people, heard of COVID-19 and they thought, what's that? No idea that what it was going to become and how it was going to define 2020, right, and we're almost at a year now, Jeepers. We're almost at a year now. I mean, we're um, at a year of it existing in general anyways, but a year since I think most of the world really started getting hit with the effects and what that meant socially. Exactly. And I think that, I think anyone who says that uh, they know what's coming in 2021, they're obviously, they're lying. We have no idea what we're <laughs> going to be talking, we have no idea what we're going to be talking about in 2020, January of 2022. Uh, right. But, you know. Hopefully more video games. Hopefully more video. hope we still be around. Actually, you want to know what? I would wager, I would wager all of my money that if one thing will survive 2021, it's people playing video games. If any, yes. if 2020 taught us anything, it's that video games is a very good industry in the bad times. It, exactly. As long as it's not apocalyptic, uh, people have don't have power. I think they'll be just fine. But uh, that'll be a different thing with, you know, flash floods and fires and no power and whatever EMPs going off from nuclear weapons. That's a whole different thing. And uh, yeah, this podcast will be the least of our concerns. Exactly. As we, uh, stroll through the capital wasteland. But what's, uh, yeah, what's pretty certain is people do have at the very least, if they're not quite sure how, you know, new governments and how the pandemic's going to flush itself out. Uh, we at least have, uh, yeah, some good games to look forward to this year. I mean, we had our most anticipated features been live now for a few weeks and, People have been chiming on that. We have the games of the year that we just discussed uh, getting all finalized up and going up on the site. And we'll be having our episode discussion on that and what people are looking forward to and stuff. So, yeah, there's there's some good stuff on the horizon. And I can't really complain. Um, actually, one of those things, like, I mean, this time last year I was knee-deep in Trials of Mana, which was pretty fantastic or close to it actually now what did i start the year with i can't remember what my first review was but i feel like trials of man i think was one of my first reviews of the year so maybe not have been january because that came out a bit later but still it was uh it was a good it was a good start to the year and i've i've done the same this year with my uh with the first review i decided to take on huh. uh, how's it been for you for games i mean i know you made your way through spelunky 2 finally yeah, I I beat Splunky 2, but I mean, you don't beat Splunky 2. You 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 beat the game and then there are I've beat I've got the first ending, which is like the bare minimum. Um and then there are the uh Have you played Splunky? I can't remember. I did play the original one a bit. I got I got a demo of it on Xbox and I always wanted to get back to it and then never did. Yeah, it sucks you in. It's so good. Um I mean, obviously there's not a whole lot of story or anything, but it's just it's a game it's of super fun. It's a game of pure platforming and secrets. If you like those two things, yeah. then you're going to love this. But the trick about Splunky exactly. 2 is the first ending is, like, the first boss is, realistically speaking, the last boss of the first game. And then you keep going and going. And and there are large, extraordinarily long item chains that you need to uh, connect. So you need to, like, to get to the second ending, I need to... What do I need? I need to get the crown, and then I also need to get to... I need to kill Anubis, I need to get his wand, and then I need to die, and then I need to use that to get into the Golden City, and then I need to die a specific way in the Golden City, um, 
that I'm resurrected and then sent to the land of the dead. And then it just goes on from there. so bizarre for a roguelike. I mean, do you have to just figure that stuff out? Or is there at least somebody in town that kind of, uh, in like whatever the hub is, that kind of points you in that direction? Because there wasn't really a hub in Spelunky. You just kind of got thrown into it and you just went. Uh, There's sort of a hub in this, but it doesn't really provide you with anything useful. At least nothing useful I've found yet. Um, But it's the kind of game that I can... It's a mixture for me of kind of entering a a flow state of just playing the game. So usually I'll just toss on a, a YouTube video on my second monitor and play the game on my main monitor. And that seems to uh, provide me with a very good distraction from all forms of work. <laughs> good on you. Uh, we won't tell your boss about that one. Mm-hmm. What was your first... Uh, Neverwing Nights was your first review of 2020. Neverwinter Nights? Neverwinter Nights, yes. Yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was an okay experience, actually. It was not a great game, but it was still fun uh, going through Neverwinter and getting back to a, a D&D gem that I missed. That's right, I forgot that that was that year. I didn't think it was 2019. Well, I think it came out in 2018, just by the time we got to it and got our review copies in, and it was a, it was a long run to get through mm-hmm. that game, understandably, and getting all the different endings and stuff for the story. And my uh, first... Well, not endings, but just wrapping up all the different storylines. Yeah, and my first review for 2020 was Cthulhu Saves Christmas. Oh, yeah, and then, yeah, that's right. We were just discussing uh, with Mike not too long ago that uh, it with uh, episode 200 that how Cthulhu Saves Christmas episode that we did with the uh, the fellows from Z-Boyd just seemed like really not that long ago, but it really was. It really was. And what's funny about Cthulhu Saves Christmas, actually, if I may, uh, <laughs> I was trying to like get through it for that episode that we recorded with Mike, and I never actually finished it which is funny and so all this time like i think i'm at the last boss i'm literally in the middle like right before the last battle i think i saved and i mm-hmm. still haven't come back to finish it did you finish it off i can't remember if you finished it for the episode or not oh yeah i, did, I reviewed it oh that's, duh, duh yeah we just finished saying that like uh, that's what i was literally relating to i'm an idiot anyways yes you did uh yeah because anyways i don't want to spoil it for people but yeah i, I do want to go back because it was surprisingly engaging and i really need to play cosmic star heroin and some other stuff i don't know it was a good conversation. It was fun. It's funny. Cosmo Star Heroine is the it's the review that I wrote to get me the job at RPG Fan originally. Huh. That was my sample review. Um, and I remember thinking at the time I didn't want to write about a game that I loved because I thought a lot of people would be writing about games that they loved. So I wrote about a game that I felt very mixed on. And uh, I think I gave it. Yeah, a, that shows, I guess, some more diversity of how you frame that politically. Yeah, I think it gave it like a 75 or something like that. It's never been published on the site, nor will it ever be. Um, right. But uh, yeah, and then, but I really like their games. And uh, I, it's funny, uh, Cthulhu Saves Christmas is the, I think I mentioned this on the podcast before, it's the only game that I've ever been accused of taking a payout from a company over. Oh, that's right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Somebody, somebody on Facebook accused me. They're like, how much are they paying you? And I'm like, Z-Boyd games yeah, are paying me a lot. <laughs> yeah, um, because I liked it a lot. It was I gave it. A, I think I, yeah, I, chickens. Yeah, I gave it a ninety. It was. I mean, it's not. A, it's not the best game I've ever played, but it's certainly not a bad game. And if you're looking for a Christmas special uh, version of a video it game, it's that well. Yeah, it's the best Christmas special of a video game I've ever played. <laughs> That's always a good time, though. It's yeah, it's it's got a fun little world, and it's it's gimmicks are, are good times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, this year I was saying, uh, now that we're into 2021, uh, as of this recording, uh, a new game just dropped uh, yesterday as of us recording, which would be January 21st, and uh, Ocean's Heart is rad. 
I'm having so much fun uh, playing it. I, uh, as of recording this right now, I'm not sure if uh, my review will be up yet or not. But as spoilers, it's it's pretty good. I'm pretty high on it. It's it's this great homage to like 2D Zeldas, but also Breath of the Wild. It captures the magic of how great uh, Minish Cap looked. It's not quite as vibrant though. Like it's 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 weird because it is very clearly a Zelda clone. It plays and help handles and looks just like a Zelda clone in, uh, game rather um, in so many ways, but still manages to walk its own path just enough that you're like, no, this is its own thing. And I get it. I love that they're definitely saying this is the game we love and what we wanted to craft something like the games we love, but we've still made our own interesting, compelling world to explore. The lead character, Tilia, is really interesting. And the gameplay mechanics are, while so similar, the kind of overarching how they all work in the world is still a little d different enough to make it interesting. And that's where I find it's like a nice blend of like 2D Zeldas in terms of uh, how it plays style, how it looks, and kind of how the items and everything kind of work. But then how you explore the world and there's quests and stuff to take on all feels very Breath of the Wild in the scope of this 2D world. It's mm -hmm. not quite like fully big, giant, open maps, open world, but you can still kind of go anywhere at any way you want, uh, by and large. And you can get yourself into hot water by exploring some spots that have tougher enemies a bit too soon and stuff like that. So yeah. I love the way they're mixing it up and adding a few different role-playing elements, uh, RPG elements into it to shake up and, again, make it their own. Yeah, I see that there's a crafting mechanic in the game. There is. It's I've just finally gotten enough stuff to to do it. Like, cause early on you cut down some stuff when you finally are able to uh, get wield your sword. Uh, there's a few things you can just pick up bushes and toss them as well, and you collect like mandrake roots or berries and some other stuff like that. And that's um, again very Breath of the Wildy, where there's uh, some certain consumables that you can pick up, like apples and stuff that will heal you. Mm -hmm. whereas if you can also pick up other ingredients, then you can full-on go in and craft some potions and stuff as well. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you take those to a herbalist's hut or whatever, and as long as you have the right stuff, you can craft, like, stuff that boosts your sword power, your defense, or, excuse me, or refills your, your magic once you start getting magic items and stuff like that, too. Uh, and then there's, like, the elixir of Vitae or whatever it is of uh, that... Yeah, it can fully refill your health, or if you faint, it'll automatically revive you. So, always handy to have those. But yeah, it requires you to sometimes go out and do foraging in the in the wilderness, and uh, as stuff kind of respawns after you've kind of left the map, so you can go out and try and collect a few things. Uh, but I've noticed not everything respawns right away. I haven't quite figured out what the time frame is, but like most like the berries and apples usually come back right away, but... Some of the other stuff that you need for more advanced crafting and such isn't always there right away unless you've journeyed, I guess, maybe far enough away or something. Hmm. I've noticed that. Okay, tell me about the protagonist a little bit in the game. Uh, there's a woman named... Yeah, it was Tilia. Tilia. Who is very much, uh, looks very Wind Waker Link slash Breath of the Wild Link and color palette and everything. But uh, yeah, you start out on her home little kind of island, which feels very Wind Waker-esque in terms of just where you kind of start small on your own little community and then it kind of the adventure expands out as you go out uh, chasing after your dad who uh, is trying to save your friend so it's an interesting hero's journey of 
like you're not trying to save the world you're just trying to figure out where your dad went which is again kind of similar to how link's adventure starts in wind waker where he goes off to save his sister mm-hmm. uh, and so in this case you're if one of your friends gets kidnapped by pirates and your dad's like well i'm the volunteer naval officer uh, i need to go handle this and then he's gone for months and then finally you who were training to become part of the volunteer navy mm-hmm. you're just like uh so dad's not back and i said i would go take care of this so you tell your sister your older sister like who's runs your family in like i'm heading out and she's like yeah please come back but get dad and come back anytime you need to that sort of thing and uh you off you go into you know the wilds to to try and track down these pirates and presumably your dad and then you're just kind of picking up breadcrumbs along the way in this mystery but then as you go you talk to people in the various different towns and they send you off at different side quests which just helps you acquire the currency in the game to upgrade your gear as you go because in this one unlike breath of the wild and most other zelda games which have i guess less equipment than breath of the wild does but you can always upgrade your sword or find different armors in this one you just have your one sword and just have your one armor and you can go to blacksmiths and pay them and give them the appropriate materials and they'll upgrade for you and sometimes mm-hmm. you can find armor and it's always just it always happens that no matter when and how you buy or find a new piece of armor which looks like your own armor but it always happens to look a bit better than yours so it gives you just a bit <laughs> boost of defense which is funny i like the gimmick and then yeah you can improve your bow and your sword by finding pieces of coral which i haven't found the bow yet i'm like you keep telling me i can improve my bow i don't have one i haven't found where to buy one i haven't found where to get it hmm. so i'm confused and it seems like um like that's the thing that's kind of neat uh like where Every dun- Zelda dungeon has, like, a gimmick, right, that you usually find the item you need to surpass it and use it against the boss, that sort of thing, right? Yeah, central mechanic. Exactly. And uh, in Link Between Worlds, they shook that up a bit by letting you rent all the items right away, which was neat, and kind of let you have your run of Hyrule and tackle each challenge as you want. But even then, there was usually one or two of those central mechanics in the dungeons that you needed to work with. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this one, uh, like, I got a boomerang early on just because I happened to find somebody that asked me to go on a quest to, uh, to like, a pirate base that had the boomerang, for example. Mm-hmm. Whereas I could have not gotten that. And it hasn't helped me. It hasn't really been a gimmick thing that i needed for any of the dungeons so it hasn't stopped me from progressing but it's still super useful because it like in zelda it lets me freeze enemies and then i can attack things so i was able to start taking on stronger things that would be a lot more wax of the sword but because i could stun them i was able to uh finish them off which was pretty handy but yeah i just think that's like kind of neat how there's there's certain items that you just you can hopefully just come across and uh, like same thing with bombs, like they weren't a thing that I was like necessarily needing for a, uh, any of my bosses or any of the, the, the dungeons per se, but, uh, I just happened to come across them at some point and they're not available in stores or anything so far that I've seen. There's a kind of bomb that I can craft, but I was only able to craft five and I don't have more stuff. So I'm playing like the RPG game of, I'm just going to hoard these mm-hmm. <laughs> until I finally get the bravery or get the extra items that then I'll try one out and see what it does. But then there, that opens up, obviously, once you get these items, like the bombs, I was able to start finding some of the classic Zelda, like, cracks in the walls and break down some stones that were only breakable by bombs. So it's it's, it's neat. Like, they they let you kind of discover what you need. And then there are some other stuff, other places that are locked by certain items. Like, I had to go into a pirate base, and then it got me 
this item that gave me strength to finally be able to lift the things I needed to progress through the dungeon. So conversely, there are a few that need to have the gimmicky thing to get you through it. Uh-huh. it yeah, it's, it's cool. It, it lets you feel really rewarded for exploring and, uh, and yeah, just drip feeds you the right stuff. I don't know. It's, they've, they've really tapped into what made Legend of Zelda so magical, but also giving you a bit more freedom to kind of take in the world at your own pace as opposed to feeling that you're just on this linear journey. Mm. It's really nice to hear that because I find that a lot of games, a lot of games try to replicate the Zelda experience, either the 2D or 3D Zelda experience, but oftentimes they're missing uh, that little bit of magic that uh, right. Zelda games bring to the party. And you played Oceanhorn, which I've always wanted to get into. Didn't you play the first one, was it? Or was it just you were saying you're excited for the second one? I played the first one. Uh, I... And it's supposed to be like Wind Waker-esque, right? It's very Wind Waker-esque. Uh, it's the same same central idea. There's islands. It's a 2D Zelda game, essentially. Instead of it being like directly above, it's on a, it, it's turning on its axis slightly. I have to admit, I've never beaten it. I started it. I was enjoying it. It just never really reached that like when i was saying like games that have never really uh that are like zelda but don't that lack that magic oceanhorn is a good example of one of those games it's good don't get me wrong but it doesn't seem to have that little bit extra to me that put it over the top now i haven't played oceanhorn 2 yet uh, i've heard very good things about it yeah i'm gonna guess they've iterated what uh, looked like you know a good foundation and they've definitely ridden oceanhorn as a development team for a while like oceanhorn 2 I feel like it's been like almost a decade between the both of them. And they've I mean, just it might be a little long, but they've just released a, uh, a third game. Actually, it's for Apple Arcade. It's called uh, Oceanhorn Chaos or Cronus Dungeon, oh, yeah. which it looks That's right. And it's like a different kind of format. Yeah, it looks. I mean, it looks like it's pulling a lot of inspiration directly from uh, Link to the Past, but it's a ro- it's a roguelite. So it's and it's a co op game. So it's not a. It doesn't look like it's a Zelda game so much as it looks like it's. I don't know, kind of reminds me of the, a Four Swords style Zelda game, except in this case, you have different classes. Yeah, I was just going to say, it may be more like um, Triforce Heroes. Yeah, a little bit. Because um, you get the different costumes that give everybody slightly different powers, so almost the same, but not quite. What would you say is one of your, uh, ignoring uh, ignoring the one you're currently playing and talking about, what would you say is one of your favorite Zelda Zelda likes? I would say Moonlighter was a good was a pretty good one uh, overall. Again, there's times where the dungeons themselves wore out their welcome a bit, and because that one definitely leans more roguelike as opposed to being just a self-contained dungeon thing, uh, I just found, yeah, sometimes you could get a little fatigued from the dungeon delving and such, because it definitely is more repetitive than most Zeldas, but I found the controls were really tight, and it felt very much like you were playing in that sort of... Uh, present- 2D presentation of a Zelda game. Swords of Ditto, again, was trying to do the similar thing as well in a lot of ways, but it, uh, and I, I found it was also quite fun, but again, it definitely had some of its mechanics that needed a bit of work. And I haven't gone back to it since they did like a big shift of it, but mm-hmm. it definitely was 2D Zelda with sort of a Majora's Mask esque kind of uh, game mechanic tacked onto it. And But both of them play pretty good, but yeah, like they just don't quite have that same little magical thing that wants you to keep coming back and again it's possible because they're both roguelites with so much repetitiveness to them that it it gets you kind of turned off a bit every now and again yeah Uh, because yeah you get that linear dungeon where you know like i'm through this and it's behind me and now i can move on to the next thing that's kind of where zelda comes into play so the puzzles are a one-shot thing but then you also know that they're going to be pretty in depth because it's all going into this whereas with the roguelites the 
the the puzzles are a little lighter because the developers are just kind of everything's being mashed together at random right Mm -hmm. yeah um for me one of the games that i mean i haven't i know there's a sequel and i haven't played it yet but i really enjoyed the first one it was a short little experience but i really liked it It was called it'll do it's oh yeah i always wanted to try that out yeah it's much more it's much more puzzle it focuses more on the puzzle side of zelda than it does the combat but uh which is cool it was a cute fun little uh parody adventure and uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, there's a the game that I really do want to play, and it's been on my list for quite some time, which is inspired by Zelda uh, Link to the Past. It's Hyperlight Drifter, um, which I still... Oh, yeah. yeah. I think Solosi reviewed that, or he just played it and spoke very highly of it. Forget, he just played but, it and spoke yeah. very highly of it. It's technically... Okay. Zelda has always been on the periphery of our coverage. But then again, it's always been on the periphery of uh, RPGs in general. Um, yeah, it's created probably a really solid foundation that the action rpg genre was more or less based around like those top-down ones at least yeah um and it it shares a lot of the dna with rpgs but at the same time it's not one technically so uh uh, no uh, unfortunately hyperlife drifter is not in our uh is not in our wheelhouse that being said it's a game that i do want to play quite a bit actually um what else what else have i played that reminds me a lot of zelda uh i mean there's yeah, a lot of zelda like mechanics in uh evo land one and two. Oh yeah well that but that's also because that's what they're doing that is and what they're doing that game fell a bit flat in its own other ways i feel like i've i've was enjoying it though when i and i did enjoy the the zelda portions i think i got to the point in the first one where i'm just past the final fantasy 7 homage uh yeah i i've actually beaten both of them um i know that let me check who reviewed ours um i'm checking uh, do we even have a review for it oh i don't know if we have one for it or not um <laughs> may not. no but uh i i liked it more than most people um maybe just because it was a, a nostalgia bath and sometimes even yeah, if they're not I like it for that even if they're not amazing nostalgia baths are kind of nice when you're feeling uh, when you're feeling that you, you yeah, just need that a, little thing um exactly there's a few jokes that i was like eh but for the most part oh man uh, yeah i liked it oh man uh, yeah we do have a review for it derek reviewed it in 2015 and he gave it a 55 yes. yeah derek was is not an evil land fan oh no and he, i think he did actually try the second one as well and no, was this is hoping for this more. is his second one Oh, okay, never mind. That was the one, because I think he played the first one and found it very, eh, and it is, it is, of course, a very derivative game, and I think he had high yeah. hopes that two would improve upon the lackings of one, and then it did not. <laughs> yeah, Bob gave it a, Bob gave the first game a 75, uh, which I would 100% agree with. I might actually that's score right. it a little bit lower than that, but like 75, I would be like, yep, that's correct. I wouldn't have given this a 55. I would have given this probably somewhere in the 70s, but... Uh, to each their own (laughs) to each their own exactly uh geez i have to i have to read this now this was long before my time um (laughs) you know what i hear there's a platform that you can go on to scream at people whose ideas don't agree with yours so maybe you should really let derek know that he's really let you and the gaming community down with this review (laughs) (laughs) yep that's what twitter is for that's that's (laughs) that is the only purpose for it now is video game discourse no other reason <laughs> um well it's nice to hear that the game turned that uh it's nice to hear that this game turned out to be uh yeah nice when i first heard about it i was like ocean's heart i actually thought is it a spin-off of ocean horn but uh it, <laughs> that's it, what i was kind of thinking too at first when i was seeing it it's completely separate i mean obviously uh wind waker is a uh, a formative experience for many 
developers out there because it's oh, yeah. it's, it's fr- one of my faves. It's friggin' Wind Waker. Um, yep. I mean, so, like, like uh, Summer and Mara was like pretty much you know all Wind Waker all the time minus the combat. Yeah, exactly. And I, I feel like a lot of developers are pulling inspiration from that now because they're at because a lot of the ones coming up are at that exact age. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that there's a lot of games surrounding that, but I, I'm delighted to hear that this game is bringing, if not necessarily something new to the party, at the very least, they're, they're executing what's there very, very well. And that, exactly, that's what it is. And, uh, like, it doesn't feel super derivative by any means. Like, you can definitely see the influences, and yeah, the art style is, is definitely, like, uh, Minish Cap, but it's... Also, it's done well. They haven't just... They've clearly taken that as like a baseline, but they're still doing their own animation. The biggest place uh, I have as far as criticisms at the moment is um, uh, it doesn't control as tight as a Zelda experience does, which is kind of frustrating sometimes. I've definitely lost more hearts by randomly throwing myself off docks into the water (laughs) than I have anything else, which is super annoying. Uh, And that's just because uh, you have Tilia who can move in every direction in general, uh, but when you're doing uh, an attack or using an item to attack and uh, or doing her roll, it's in one of the four primary directions. Mm. So you will think, I'm going to dodge out of the way at an angle, and then it will pick upper left, and you, know, and you could go barreling into your enemy, or you will go up and away from what you're trying to do. And the same thing, I'm like, I'm going to throw my boomerang, and nope, it went up instead of into the enemy, and now they're hitting me, and I'm dead, or whatever. So stuff like that can be a little frustrating. I've definitely spent more time fighting with the controls at first and getting used to them, and that's my biggest grievance. But it doesn't, it hasn't ruined the experience, but it definitely has a bit of a growing pain, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of the dungeons so far, the puzzles are good and satisfying in their way of like, oh, cool, I'm glad I figured that out. But I feel like they could be a bit bigger and longer and have a bit more thrown at you. Uh, for a 2D Zelda game, which a lot of them put a lot of focus into those really intense dungeon delves. And, like, you know, most of the the ones in, like, Link's Awakening or uh, Oracle Seasons and stuff, you're looking, you're going to be down there probably 20 to 30 minutes, I think, if I recall correctly, depending on how quickly you're able to rip through. I mean, you can definitely do it faster for speed challenge purposes and probably do it in, like, Mm. 10 minutes if you know exactly where you're going how. But if you're looking in every nook and cranny, trying to find all the chests... You're probably looking at least like a 20 minute dungeon delve to fix out the puzzles, fight a mid boss, that sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. But in this one, I find even with trying to do a thorough exploration, you're uh, looking at maybe like a 10, 15 minute little jaunt. Mm -hmm. But that's maybe I'm just early in the game, too. Again, I have no concept at this point where I'm at, uh, because like I said, I don't think my review is going to be done uh, by the time this episode goes live. Uh, I, I could still have some more in-depth dungeons to go through later on that are a bit bigger. And even the one I just did was a bit bigger, but like it didn't have a lot of puzzles. It was more just kind of figuring out how to use the thing to progress forward a little bit, uh, which is kind of a puzzle. But once you did it, that was the mechanic. Mm. Okay. Well, it sounds and like... Just throw on some vital battles and there you go. Yeah, it sounds like a game that would be a delightful little diversion. Like, I have a few... I have, a few, is, yeah. I have a few Zelda likes that are in my uh, wish list on Steam that at some point, if I'm like craving a Zelda game, I will download it. Like Blossom Tales is an example of one of those that at some point I know I'll play. Oh, I haven't heard that one. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I might I think I just might add this one to that uh, that same list just for when I'm yeah. I'm craving that little bit of things when I'm watching a 
when I'm watching a Zelda randomizer speedrun on Twitch, I'll be like, oh, I feel like playing a Zelda game, and I'll I'll load mm-hmm. that up. And it's a good one for it. It's got like it has. It's probably even more in our coverage than most Zeldas, which is what like Breath of the Wild was because it has more of a gear progression system and such to mm-hmm. overcome. So while Tilia doesn't level up, so to speak, it behooves you to look for the things you need and to make the money to uh, be able to improve your character otherwise you're gonna have a real hard time getting through some of the later stuff it just will draw things out and even then like it was hard <laughs> the game was really difficult at first when i'm just sitting there with three hearts and like a basic sword and basic uh armor and between jumping into the water and just randomly not moving the right direction i was getting wrecked and saving and continuing a lot but now it's definitely not as frequent i can one shot most things and it's going okay and then the boss battles are a bit more of a again pattern recognition and they're, they're challenging and fun. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a good one. And I highly recommend uh, if you're looking for that experience, but with a bit more RPG substance, go for it. Hmm. Well, I might just try that then. There you go. Uh, what have you kicked off the year with? Uh, well, I've played, I played two games thus far this year. Uh, both of them, both of them pretty short. This year has been uh, a little crazy getting started, but I've managed to get through two. One of which is sort of in our coverage. I'm not going to review it because... I don't know how. That sounds terrible, but I, I don't know how. Uh, have you ever heard of... Like, don't know how in, like, the cyberpunk way? Or don't know how in, like... Uh, just uh, I'm excited to hear how. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, okay, do you know... Uh, how can I How can I put this? Um, the, this seems to be the struggle. The developer... Actually, this is a game that is coming out this year, and I'm actually super excited about it. Have you ever played the Stanley Parable? I have not. It's been on my wish list for a while, and it looks so fascinating as a fun experiment, mind effery of a game. Yeah, it's not a game. I mean, it's a game, but it's not a game, and that's sort of the theme of the year, I a guess. Social for me. experiment. Yeah, it's sort of the theme of the year for me because this is a this is this is a game by the same developer, and it is super short. It's not a it's not a long game at all. It's called uh, Doctor Langstroth, the Tiger, and the Terribly Cursed Emerald: A Whirlwind Heist. Say that five times fast. My gosh. Um, now, this is not a game that I particularly want to spoil because the concept is the game. Like, that's the concept is the game. And if I tell it to you, it's just ruined. It's only 20 minutes long. Um, but it is a 20 minute, it is a 20 minute uh, uh, meta filled romp where you are going through trying to figure out. Uh, it, it plays a lot with storytelling conventions, uh, specifically for games, how uh, games work. Uh, it's it's very very difficult to explain, and I feel like a review of it, aside from a short, maybe maybe I will write a short little review of it. Um, but it wouldn't. I I don't feel like it would be do it. It, it classifying it as maybe a like game, player mission. Classifying it as a game is a mistake. It's an interactive experience, and uh, I feel like those are happening a lot more and more. Um, and I really like them. Um, I like I like short stories and I really do like short stories and games and I find that there's not enough of them. I like games that I can dive in and get the entire thing in like an afternoon and I'm like, I'm satisfied. That was absolutely worth the five to ten to fifteen dollars that I spent on it. Um, and this is a game that I feel uh, was worth the money. It is not big. It is not if you are not a fan of experience experience 
experience games, if you're not a fan of like walking simulators, this probably isn't going to be for you. <laughs> but for me, I really enjoyed it. Um, but the big one that I, I played this year, and by, by big, everything is relative, but the, the, the experience is another super meta game. It's called There Is No Game Wrong Dimension. And uh, it is a... See, this is the problem with games like this, is if you, explain the, <laughs> if you explain the game, you are ruining the game. And not even in a spoiler sense. Like, I... Yeah, obviously, spoilers... There's a lot of controversy about them. I don't like spoiling games for people. But this is more than just spoiling story or character. This is spoiling right. concept or spoiling... The, the conceit very, of it all, right? The very conceit of the game. And the joy of cool. the game is getting into it. It's like... It's it's kind of like spoiling Portal for somebody. Like it, like why would you do that? That's fair. Um, yeah, which uh, well, you've been warned, folks. Uh, you know, jump ahead like ten minutes and see where we're at. Yeah. So there is no game. Wrong dimension. <laughs> uh, it was a very very short little uh, game jam entry called "There Is No Game," and then uh, it w it got so popular that uh, the developer expanded it, and it's just a guy. Um, and really, really cool story behind it. He had this, he, like I said, he developed There Is No Game in a game jam, uh, and it got a lot of traction, and people were really enjoying it. Uh, but and it was it was like a it was a, a good seed and a good idea of a game. Uh, so he put a Kickstarter campaign out there, um, and uh, unlike a lot of very popular games, this Kickstarter failed astoundingly hard. Like oh dear! Like he wanted to earn uh thirty two uh, thirty two thousand euros and he earned three thousand, um and uh it only reached six thousand views so it like did not do well at all. It just got buried. Yeah, it just got Ooh. it just got buried, which is a shame. But the developer continued to work on the Kickstarter contemporaries were. Yeah, uh, he continued to work on the game and then he started to develop the failure of the Kickstarter into the game. Um, into the game's narrative, uh, which is extremely... That's pretty rad. It's pretty rad. And uh, so the game the game delves into uh, themes of loss and, I guess, into an extent, failure and compromise. And uh, despite the fact that the name of the game is There Is No Game, there is sort of a game here. If I had to classify as anything, I would say it's a point-and-click adventure game. But it completely and utterly deconstructs what a point-and-click adventure game is. Um, you lo Do you click instead of point? Uh, oh you you bring up the game, and there's a there's a narrator, and uh, the the narrator is the program, the program, the game itself, and the game itself is actively discouraging you from playing the game. He keeps putting up barriers to entry, so like. You will start the game, and the the game itself will hide the start game button underneath a uh, a safe, or put it in a safe, and then you'll have to like using. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and you need to figure out how to get into the safe, and the game's interface, for the most part, tends to be uh, the interface itself. So, like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ruin a lot of the best puzzles, but like. You get into it and you actually need to like break the title screen in order to get like an item that you can use to affect other screens. Um, and eventually you kind of get pulled in. Have you ever seen the television show Sliders? I have not ever actually watched it, but fun fact, my uncle produced it. <laughs> it was filmed in Vancouver. 
least it was yeah the first two seasons of it i loved it it's about a it's about a group of people who are they uh, slide between parallel realities and they're lost and there's there's a i remember its whole thing the sliders yep or whatever was the title screen (laughs) i like it i like it a lot i still liked it i see i've seen a couple episodes uh as an adult and some of it holds up some of it doesn't the performances do um so in the in in there is no game you end up kind of lost in dimensions, and the dimensions are various other genres of games. So, for example, it sounds like reboot. A little bit, yeah. So, for example, it sounds you'll fi- like you're, uh, yeah. You'll ahead. find we're just we're just lobbing the Canadian uh, media properties at our audience today. <laughs> um, yeah. So, like, you'll and you start entering into other game genres, and you need to learn how to break those genres in order to... Because you're outside of them. It's like you're not part of the game. You're observing the game. So you need to figure out ways to uh, break the game in order to advance. So you'll find yourself in a uh, point-and-click adventure game starring Sherlock Holmes, which looks exactly like a uh, mid-90s LucasArts adventure game. Or you'll find yourself in a Legend of Zelda-esque game, like we were just like we were just talking about. Uh, or you'll find yourself in a, uh, a gacha game. And you need to u- utilize the mechanics of these uh, to actually affect the game itself. So, like, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example of this that doesn't actually, like, spoil the story. So, like, the... Okay, so you have to use the game's mechanics to your advantage. So, for example, there's an item on a shelf in the Legend of Zelda thing, and it you can't reach the shelf. You can't reach it. Um but you can continuously make your character uh, drink a potion that will uh, make the character's health bar get longer. So eventually, if you make the health bar get long enough, the health bar will reach the over above the <laughs> shelf and it'll lock the item I on like the ground. It. Yeah, that's great. And very like Alice in Wonderland. Uh, very much so. Um, and it's you're playing it and it's enjoyable. The narrator is really, really funny. Uh and eventually the game starts becoming quite emotionally affecting. It, uh, like I said, it starts delving into some strong themes of loss and how you deal with that loss. And uh, it was very, very unexpected where the game ended up. Um, I know that people, you know, if you wanted to skip, if you wanted, we gave you a warning, a spoiler warning, if you wanted to, you can skip to the end. But the reality is that I don't, if someone is really interested in this game, I don't want to spoil it for them because I thought it was extraordinarily clever. And the cleverness of the game is part of it. Like, it's a it's a key component. It's actually, the cleverness is a key mechanic of the game. So I don't want to spoil it. I do want to say I played it on PC. I think this game would be exceptionally uh, well done on an iPad. Um, if you're playing on, uh, if you have an iPad, I might take a look, uh, at the app store version of it. I think it would be a better experience. It works perfectly fine with a mouse, but there's something about it. T- there's something about the, uh, tactile interface of a mouse pad and a touch or a mouse pad versus a touch screen that I think it would work better on an iOS device. So yeah, uh, it's a extraordinarily totally clever fair. game. Very funny in points. There are a lot of, uh, puzzles that will make you laugh with delight when you figure them out. Not the hardest game I've ever played. I certainly didn't need a walkthrough for it. I don't think anyone else will either. Um, it's it's well balanced. The puzzles are not so insane that you'll never be able to figure them out. If you've ever played a video game, you'll be able to figure them out because, like I said, it references a lot of video games. So yeah, none of our listeners have played video games. So. Probably not. 
anyway, if, if the <laughs> audience, if anyone out there is looking for a a point-and-click adventure game that will remind them a little bit of the Stanley Parable or uh, other other meta games like that, and they're looking for looking some... Looking for an experience. Yeah, they're looking for some absurdist humor, then uh, There Is No Game Wrong Dimension is an excellent place to start. And I don't know if my review will be up by the time this episode goes up, but it would be up soon after, hopefully. Well, given your desire to not spoil things, there is clear there is no review. There is no review. I'm just, that's the review. It's just going to be, there is no review. <laughs> uh, I look forward to you trying to figure that one out. But it's, yeah, that sounds super neat. I want to, just for like the, I guess not the, yeah, just the experiment of it all just sounds really cool. I recommend it highly, Greg. Uh, yeah. I think that you'd like it. Um, I'm going to recommend it to some yeah. Point and Click Adventure fans on the team specifically. Um, it's like I said, it's not a big game. This is an afternoon project. This is something that if you're looking for just a good time and a couple of fun brain teasers and some really, really great performances. Yeah. It's a, it's a great game to try. That's awesome. Uh, well, to round out the episode, uh, you actually kind of, uh, brought up something in the vein of what we were kind of banding about. Uh, getting into a bit of a discussion about here to finish things off was the idea of co-op RPGs, two-player RPGs, which, again, it's, as uh, we were saying in a bit of the pre-show, like, I'm getting a bit of the quarantine fatigue because I miss hanging up with friends and playing with friends and stuff like that. And not that we did a lot of couch co-op gaming or getting into each other's space in that regard, but we played a lot of board games and we still had social time. So now it's, I'm starting to get back to that place where I want those Zoom calls or those Zoom hangouts or, or, uh, uh, and like you know social gaming sessions as much as i can but we've also all gotten to such a place of this is real life now that we've all gotten back to being busy again mm-hmm. but uh i've managed to carve out some time uh since christmas with a few friends who have brought up like uh, my my best friend pat bought me sea of thieves so now we regularly get into pirate shenanigans uh on a weekly basis and it, it's good times it's just so nice to just serenely go out and start sailing and then uh, you and Amanda have been playing Divinity Original Sin, which I've also begun playing with my other best friend, Troy, who uh, picked it up over the holidays and was like, hey, I see you have this. Let's let's play. Let's do some some sort of D&D without D&D. And it's pretty neat, too. We are not far in, but uh, you can probably speak more to it, which we have a little bit on the episode. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i in love with it. Unfortunately, uh, Amanda has uh, hurt her hand fairly bad. She's not like permanently or anything, but she is going to physio for it. And as a result of that, uh, thumbs on the right hand are not a good idea, which means that, yeah, exactly. So, uh, either using a mouse, either using it with a mouse or using it with the controller, she's been, she's been using a controller, um, is unfortunately out. So we've had to put our Divinity Original Sin on pause. Um, thankfully her usual D&D, uh, weekly, uh, campaign has started up again. So she's, she's into that. That's the reason we started up Divinity Original Sin anyway, it was because, her D and D campaign went on pause, so she wanted a her daily She's dose. Her, her, yeah, and I mean, we spent uh, we we were pretty far in, probably about halfway through, but then we stopped, and unfortunately, we're stuck there. So by the time that we restart, right. you probably will either be caught up to us or you'll be past it. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I only am able to carve out time on a biweekly basis, and we probably would have played this week, but my week has been a little hairy, so I don't know if we'll find the time but we'll probably get to it next week we'll see mm. but it's uh i get it yeah it's every once in a while i start feeling a bit of strain now on my left hand 
uh, when I'm playing certain games, like getting back to the controller, I'm like, I haven't done this in a while. I know my hands are feeling it. And that's also probably because I'm back at the gym as well, too. So my hands are still trying to rebuild their grip strength and they're all mm-hmm. kinds of messed up, I'm sure. And I'm old getting there, you know, not really that old, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's, but enough but, that, enough that yeah. things start, start not breaking down, but... <laughs> but you're starting to I'm at the point where I'm starting to realize the that age is a thing and how it's going to affect me <laughs> exactly. but um, either way all that being said uh, we just yeah I want to chat about just co-op RPGs and some of the, the, the hits we've had in the past and uh, yeah I, 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 I mean there's it, it is definitely usually synonymous with a single player experience usually unless you're doing an MMORPG or you get into experiences like Gauntlet and Diablo, which are a bit more roguelike and action oriented, but uh, I, I do wish actually actually back in the height of Diablo, I had someone else to play that one with. But I did play a lot of Diablo two with friends or hopping on the battle net with randoms, and that was always a good time. I don't know where. What was your kind of like formative multiplayer RPG experience? Did you uh, also uh, get into playing Final Fantasy one multiplayer, where someone else just gets to control whether they get to attack or not? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, I did that a little bit, but usually Final Fantasy was a solo thing for me. I mean, yeah. people would come, people would come over and we play the game, but for the most part, it was like one person watching, one person playing. Um, I, I've always been a single player gamer. It's just something that I am. I've never really gotten into it. Like even when I played World of Warcraft, I was always so irritated that I had to, that I, if I went into an instance, I would need other people. Um, I was like, why can't I play it by myself? And it was like, well, because it's in mmorpg um, what is what is with these multiple players in this online rpg uh, this is absurd absurd i say absurd indeed and i mean the last time i really put like a solid effort into engaging with a multi uh, mmorpg was uh fallout 76 and that turned out brilliantly um so this is why of- i don't play these things gosh yeah, so MMORPGs aren't really my thing. Uh, I don't really want to play with strangers. Which now, you playing with code, yeah, yeah, playing with friends might be another another uh, situation. But the problem is that you need someone who is willing to invest the same amount of effort as you are into the game. Like, yeah, Final Fantasy uh, fourteen might be fun to play, and whenever we have someone on here, it would be interesting. But I also know that for the most part, everyone's pretty deep into the game. Um, and I don't really have anyone to play it with. Um, one day and you this, and I will start together. <laughs> yeah, one day you and I will also write that dual review for the DLC for... Uh, for um, Wargroove? Yeah. That was one we, I was going to bring up, actually, because uh, you and I have only dabbled with it a bit, and I'm, we, again, getting busy with our own things. But I, I do actually think of it probably at least once a month like oh i want to play that with jano again and then projects come up your you know review leads you got a lot on your plate i'm still trying to get abreast of video content so we've definitely understandably been sidetracked quite a bit and it can be hard uh to do that and you know it's, it's also interesting too because i do get to socialize with you on a very regular basis so i feel like that box is ticked so to speak like, yeah i'm just i just talked to jano so i don't like miss you so to speak because i know i'll be talking to you i know we have a date but i do miss playing that game it was fun uh, even though you handed my arse to me pretty much all the time uh, apparently yeah. i'm bad at strategizing by comparison <laughs> i think at the time i was playing it more often than you were so at this point i think we'd both be equally not knowing where how the Perhaps. game works um yeah but there's a dlc campaign which is co-op uh and that would be a fun thing to do and we've been talking about doing that as like playing it, doing an episode dedicated to it, and maybe just, you know, 
doing a doing a almost a dual sort of review for it. Um, yeah, I'd actually be down for that um, because I mean it's Wargroove. It was my favorite game of 2019. Um, it's so good. I just loved it. it is, it's everything that Advanced Wars is and more. And and I hope we a, get more of it with a bit more refined everything. Yeah, uh, we probably will at some point. I. I have this big, I have all of these games installed in my, everyone has all these games installed on their computer. They always have their backlog, but there are a number of games on my computer right now that I am putting a lot of thought into uh, playing, reviewing, and uh, getting up on the site, and that is one of them. So, yeah. Yeah, let's let's talk let's a little bit more together. about doing the, about, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about doing some more and playing together. That might be fun. That would be a good time. And one of the other aspects of this uh, that I did actually want to ask, and I did the same thing, actually, sorry, going back to formative years of, yeah, passing the controller around to all, like, have our character take their turn in Final Fantasy was definitely a way to do it. But I think probably, like, uh, Secret of Mana was probably the earliest I played a multiplayer RPG of any sort. It was when I was introduced to it. And that a was solid a solid one. Yeah. I actually, uh, because, because I still haven't played it yet, and I actually do need to because I bought it, uh, Trials of Mana, the not the remake, the original. It does it. Does it also have a two-player option? Yes, the in like the, the collection of mana. Yeah. Yes, you can play two-player. Gwen and I did that last year. That was one of our big games we did together. We played it all through, start to finish, and it holds up. It's fun to play with another player for sure. Uh, and if, and in many ways, it's better because then you're not trying to bandy about about which character has what for spells and such because the nice thing about secret of mana it was actually pretty contained with playing it one player was was fine having multiple players obviously lets you strategize a bit better and execute things a bit smoother but because like the girl was so focused on support the sprite was just assault and then you had your main protagonist who was just the attack you could just go in and swing swords and then lrr into whichever circle uh, menu you wanted to throw out whatever spell Whereas in Trials of Mana, everybody gets a little bit of like abilities and effects and stuff, and then you get stun locked as you're trying to cast. So if you don't time it out right, single player, that you're like, oh, I wanted to cure, but I'm already casting a buff, so now I have to wait for my character to finish doing that, and oh, everyone just got reamed, uh, so I'm gonna <laughs> die now because I was casting a spell because I couldn't. You can't go back into the menu while they're doing that. Mm-hmm. It definitely is a lot better. I found as an experience to have a multiplayer thing. I mean, it's still not like an impossible game, but there's situations like that could be avoided playing with multiple people because everyone, every character is so much more fleshed out than what they were in Secret of Mana. Mm. It's one of those games that I desperately need to play. Um, and I highly recommend it. We did what? a whole episode in Retro about it for good reasons. I know. I listened to that episode in the food court at the Eaton Center as I ate a burger from Big Smoke Burger. and uh, <laughs> I really want that to be... The Eaton Center, like that's where people go to eat. It's the center, <laughs> but, <that'd be> <laughs> but I know court. what you mean. <laughs> that'd be a great name for the food court of the Eaton Center. I mean, it's not the that Eaton anyone is there Eaton anymore. Center. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I was just you... thinking about. I was thinking about that, and I was like, "Wow, that was another time." That's such a who's on first moment too, waiting to happen. The but Eaton yes, that center? was another time. We were we were actually planning to go to um, the West Edmonton Mall over this past. Uh, speaking of going to big malls and stuff. Uh, well, that was one of our big things we wanted to do and obviously couldn't once COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Not oh, that it's should... like a huge thing, but we're going to Alberta anyways for a family visit. We figured, well, we may as well do the touristy thing to do, which is go to the West Edmonton Mall. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, as we finish off this question, one thing I did want to ask you, Jono, mm-hmm. uh, I guess it's similar to kind of uh, John Tucker's question way back when, but it's uh, 
Is there any RPG franchise that you think would benefit from having a multiplayer iteration or you wish had had multiplayer? Oh, that's an interesting question, actually. Um, I can stall for you. I have an answer if you want. Yeah, go ahead. I will. I will. I need to think about that for a sec. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it was always adjacent, obviously, because uh, we've discussed this on the episode of how Legend of Zelda always kind of sits beside it. But I was always kind of hoping back when the Switch one was getting teased that we would get a multiplayer uh, Legend of Zelda experience because I thought that'd be super, super fun. Uh, to to go down and you you know we get it a little bit with like triforce heroes and such like that but again it's those are so self-contained and gimmicky it'd be insane uh, and i can't imagine it would be a, a treat to do but i mean we've definitely seen open world rpgs that people can play multiplayer but i always thought like like a multiplayer style breath of the wild where one you know in the sequel of one person's link and one zelda that'd be incredible uh, and in that same vein of kind of the open world thing i really i've always wished that i could also do multiplayer like uh, Elder Scrolls Skyrim, which I guess now you can because there's the MMORPG, so that's probably hits it. But just I just found myself wandering that world wanting another player to share it with because it's just weird that like there's no one else kind of attempting heroics in this very heroic-seeming world. And with how simple it seems to bulk up your skills just by blacksmithing, you figure every blacksmith in Skyrim should be a hero. <laughs> um, and then uh, and Dragon Age. I thought it would have been, or like Mass Effect. I find mm-hmm. either of those would be super cool if another party member could be in there to control things. I know that there is a, I know that there's a multiplayer mod for Skyrim. Oh, cool. Yeah, and see, that, obviously. there might be one for Dragon Age too. Um, but they're like fan-made mods, so they're certainly not going to be as polished as like if... Yeah. Okay, I was about to say they wouldn't be as polished if Bethesda was in charge, but that's certainly not true. So, um, yeah, uh, those are good ones. Okay, I think I have an answer. Um, I was about to say when I was thinking about it, I was I was like I should just say Yakuza and get it over with. But I don't, <laughs> that would be super fun, actually. Uh, but I don't. It would be super fun, but at the same time, I don't know. I mean, Yakuza does have Yakuza Online in Japan. Um, oh, but I didn't even know it, that. Yeah, but it's not it's not a Yakuza game in the traditional sense. It's a card game. Um, oh, that's right. That's are, the one where what's his face was originally from Ishiban. Yeah, the card game. It, it's just like two D sprites and that kind of thing. So not really a Yakuza game. I'm trying, but I don't know how it, I don't know how a multiplayer, pardon me, I don't know how a multiplayer Yakuza game would work. I feel like it might the world just might be too chaotic, um, and the game has gotten away from the celebrating the Yakuza in the last. I mean, it's never really celebrated the Yakuza. It's always kind of taken the tact that the Yakuza to be celebrated are the ones who aren't Yakuza. Like all of the main characters are always out of the Yakuza almost when they're. Uh, like Kiryu is not a, not has not been a member of the Yakuza since the first game, and neither is Ichiban. Um, I think that the game I really would like to see some multiplayer brought to, and it's tricky because it's it, it would it almost conflicts with the central conceit of the game is crosscode. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's in cross, funny. Yeah, yeah in, cro- in crosscode you have the you're playing the Sphere class, but you also have like your party members who are with you the entire time, and while you're playing, they're they have their own fighting styles, they have their own spells, their own special abilities, and they're different from yours, and they seem to be very, very well developed, and I think that that would be an interesting, interesting to be able to uh, play other classes. Um, I don't know, maybe that's going to be in some DLC in the future, uh, yeah. maybe, but it, I, I feel like, I feel like this is a game very much in the same, in the same style as uh, Second Descensu uh, 3, um, where you, sorry, Trials of Mana, 
where you can uh, play with multiple people. Yeah, I feel like it's a world that would be ripe for that kind of thing. And it, it would be very, very, it'd be a very, very fun game to play with another person. But again, it would con- it conflicts with the central conceit of the game, which yeah. is, yeah, so, eh. It, it would, but, yeah, it would definitely need a completely different story. But it would be kind of neat taking that and, like, you're both competing heroes to see who can save the game, save the world first. That would maybe. be kind of fun. Like, kind of almost speedrun challenging it, in a sense. Well, there are speedrun challenges built into the game where if you if you take too long, your companions will beat dungeons before you. But again, those are oh, all... That's, that's AI. Cool. But yeah, yeah there was AI. actual real-life people that could get there before you and... Um, and it made it almost more of a roguelike experience that you're like, well, I didn't do it this time. And like it affects how well you score or how well you what, you know, you get a better ending or not or whatever by trying to directly compete with each other or leaving behind traps or something for the next person to come through to make the dungeon harder or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that but I think that might be uh, uh, something they would might want to look at in the future. It's, it's they've, they've set up a few cases where DLC is not promised, but uh is implied um and part of that is the world itself where there is a there is a temple which has like dozens of players out front being like when is this temple going to be completed we want the next temple and that kind of thing um so was nice that little... yeah a nod to dlc yeah. in general how that's going to work or was that an actual thing that's going to come from the developers that's fun and meta yeah it was it was a f- another fun meta thing man there's so much meta in games nowadays it's sometimes nice just to play a game that's a friggin' game. Okay with being a game? Yes. That that doesn't that doesn't reference other games and doesn't like just creates its own world. Um but well, have again, I told you about Ocean's Heart. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. They do actually do have one meta thing in there and that's about it. Uh yeah. which is just really funny too. It's just the whole like, oh, uh what was it? Oh, we go down here, but like I can't swim. And Tilly is like, who can? <laughs> and I was like, oh, so does that mean I'll never be able to swim in this game? <laughs> I don't know if I'll get the quote-unquote Zora flippers or not, but it's just kind of funny. And then again, it's that poke at like, so how come Link can't swim at the beginning of the game? Why does he just flounder all the time and drown? Did his parents fail him so bad? <laughs> Breath of the Wild, uh, you could though, I guess. Yeah, Breath of the Wild, you had to. That was one of the first. That was one of the first uh, areas where you could get a sword. There was a, there's a uh, platform just outside the Temple of Time. It's a, it's like a little right, lake, lake and kind of thing. Yeah, there's a little lake and there's like a little island in the middle of it with a rusty sword and that you have to get to yeah. it. <laughs> I actually, I didn't actually hesitate and I feel like it's because I already, I played it like a year later so I already knew he could swim. But I wonder how many people for the first time in Breath of the Wild were like, wait, is this is a trap? Can I, can I swim? Will this be okay? <laughs> be hysterical if they took away his swim ability for Breath of the Wild too. <laughs> Just to spite us all. That'd be awful. Just to screw with the audience. Anyway. <laughs> it would really screw us up. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's a it's weird, and like, there's so many games out there that could be just absolutely utterly broken by making it multiplayer because obviously it's not in the necessary framework. The game's either designed for it or it's not, and but I just think there's a lot of worlds that we can definitely explore together as friends, playing games at the same time, word of mouth, or you know, uh, Twitch streaming and stuff like that, and uh, or game journals like what Solacy runs with Retro, and that's kind of fun to hear people's experiences and their passion and what they found or didn't find. But it's a whole other experience when you do get to go through it together and you're sharing in the moments that you've created together, especially like, you know, as you've told me with you and Amanda and Divinity Original Sin, where you're like, we set up this rad spell reaction and it worked or whatever, right? Yep. 
Yeah. I and I have those in, yeah, you're like, oh my gosh, we took down that boss in Diablo 2 that squeaked by, but thank goodness we took this skill, you know, all that stuff, right? Yep. I mean, it, to be completely honest, yes, a multiplayer RPG would be nice, and obviously playing Divinity Original Sin with Amanda again would be nice. I'm still desperate to find someone to play Portal 2 with. I st- it's... I still haven't played the multiplayer. I've never found anyone who has not played the multiplayer, but who has played the actual game. Um, the, it, they're both great. Uh, I, I play yeah. a lot of the multiplayer, and that's another thing. If we can set aside the time, I'd go back to it. I probably remember uh, remember a fraction of the puzzles, so it definitely wouldn't <laughs> be broken for me. Uh, uh, but that is a game that is so fun to to teamwork and figure out. Honest to God, if they released a, if they released Portal VR, it's probably the only thing that would actually get me to buy a VR headset. Hey, Amanda, they just released this great new game. It's only $400. Can I get it? <laughs> what do you mean, $400? Well, you see... <laughs> hey, I, I, look, a new Portal game would be worth it. Would be worth every cent of it. Absolutely. Anyway. Absolutely. The literal portal to another world. <laughs> any rate, uh, yeah, let, let's round things up here today uh, with, with that, because, again, it's just the two of us. You're going to get tired of listening to us if you're not already after whatever 30-odd episodes we've been working together. I'm kidding. Mm-hmm. You people have been nothing but generous and supportive of us throughout the uh, past couple of years now. Uh, yeah, but if you uh, do want to throw us uh, love or hate or anything else, you can do so at podcast at rpgfan.com. I'm G Delmy on our Discord. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and everywhere else at Greg Delmage. Uh, John O, they can find you how and where. Yeah, they can find me on Twitter at John O. Logan, or you can uh, fire off a message to us uh, through email, and we'll see about responding to it on the show. Exactly. I'll take it. Uh, I've already been uh, b- uh, beseeching folks for queries and improvements that we could possibly make to the show. Because how can you perfect on this? Let me be honest. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> check out the Discord, the podcast channel, on the RPG Fan Discord. Please give me some questions. We want to have uh, some from you folks and just let us know how we're doing. Uh, we're both, you know, outgoing, charismatic people who are doing this because we just like to hear our own voices apparently but you know we want validation give it to us (laughs) i mean that's why i went to school for a theater degree yeah yeah somewhere somehow our parents failed to give us just that right amount of love that we needed so we need to find it (laughs) everywhere else (laughs) that's a deeper conversation i'm kidding um yeah no uh you can also find other podcasts uh with us i guess uh, since i've already started the theme of people desperately seeking attention we have retro encounter we have rhythm encounter back for all the music in your ears and uh that one just dropped uh not too long ago uh basically everything that was missed since rhythm encounter was down so that's pretty cool uh let us all get caught up with uh, some of the great music that was missed over the past few years and then hat and eric are on the phoenix edge podcast doing their thing and otherwise uh that's that's all the good stuff that's going on reviews twitch everything else the you usual. can find us everywhere on the web mm-hmm. the usual and we're obviously going to have tons of content coming out over 2021 and even throughout january and uh we will have our games of the year feature coming up pretty soon and we have some podcasts accompanying that as well exactly as i was teasing so look forward to it Uh, otherwise, thanks so much for listening, everybody. For myself and Jano, bye now. Bye.